Good to be back with you today. If you have your copy of God's Word, let's go to uh, John chapter 3. We're going to the most famous verse in all of Scripture. And so some of y'all might think, I don't need my Bible because like I, in vacation Bible school as a kid, I've learned this and I just never forgot it and, and all that. And, and, so, and you may also be sitting here, you're like, you know what? I have heard, I have heard this verse preached and preached and preached. I want to tell you something. I have been in church since I was seven years old. I am 40, all right? And, and, and I sat down, uh, and when I looked at what we're doing with Be Rich, and I looked at, uh, and, and I looked at, at how this verse was couched in, in terms of, of where we are in, in the series, I was like, how do you preach, how do you preach it this way? And, and so, but this is one of the things that we know about Scripture, right, is that the Word of God is living and active. All right. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And, and so I could actually, you know, you could actually read. I don't know if you do this, if you have a daily devotion. Uh, if you read the scriptures every day, you could read the same scripture over and over again every day. And the Lord would teach you something else out of it. Like something new out of it. That's the beauty of being, being you know, serving a living God. Uh, reading a living document. Is that, that God is going to teach us different things. And so as I read this and I started praying, I was like, oh man, this is, this is super cool. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to take a journey today. A couple things um, while you're, while you're, you're turning uh, to the scripture. A couple things. One, you may be uh, like kind of discouraged um, in the Be Rich Project. And maybe you, know, maybe you, you wanted to go pack lunches and, you, or, you know, and meals and you weren't able to and booked up. Or maybe you know, you're... you're uh, you know, maybe coming out of COVID or maybe something else, maybe you have some other health challenges that you're just like, I just can't get out there. I can't, I can't move mulch around. I can't uh, pressure wash. I, I can't do the, those things. Uh, there are, uh, Matt's already told us about some other ways that you can get involved. But even if that is, is too physically strenuous for you, let me, let me, let me offer you uh, some way that you can help. Because I want you to understand, everybody at this church has a place in Be Rich. All right. We don't get a pass because we're physically infirmed. We don't get a pass because we're living on the poverty line. We don't get a pass because, because maybe our lives are not just every, you know, everything we want it to be. God, when the moment God saved you, he called you to service. He called you to generosity. And so you may be you know, you know, in, in a place where because of inflation and gas prices and uh, uh, you know, mortgage prices that you're like, look, I, I just can't be generous. Let me tell you some ways you can be, okay? One thing that we as believers need to do, especially a church that is in the middle of an interim time like you are right now, you can be a person of prayer. You can spend time earnestly seeking the Lord's face, asking God to, uh, you know, to show uh, his man for this congregation to your pastor search committee as they are, are they're praying over and looking at resumes and, and all the things. And, and look, I don't even know where they are in the process. All right? I just know kind of what the timeline looks like. Uh, <clears throat> and I also know that, that it, it is um, likely for a church to start getting antsy uh, you know, to, to, to want an update and to want to know. Here, here's, here's what we need to be. Be about that prayer life. All right, be praying for your pastor search committee. Be praying for your pastors. Uh, be, be praying for those who are in leadership, your life group leaders. Um, if you're on the, the finance team or if they're uh, over missions at this church, they need prayer. And, and so if, if you don't have a place where you can be generous, be generous in prayer. It's a great, great way to do it, okay? All right, John chapter three, uh, 
almost like we'll say 98.2% of the time, um, if, if you know, 86% of statistics are all made up, we're going to say that 98.2% of the time we go to John chapter 3 and we camp out right in John 3.16. And if honestly, if many of you may not know, because for a long time I didn't know, that, that the story of John chapter 3 is actually a really cool narrative. And if you've never read the narrative, it is cool. Uh, when we're done here today, you're watching the Jags game, you're eating Mexican food, um, pull out John chapter 3 and read the whole thing. It is fascinating. Jesus has a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's actually a member of the ruling council, uh, um, a, a group of guys called the Sanhedrin. All right, and they were the ones, they were the religious leaders. They were the ones who were over the, or over the Jewish people, uh, who were the ones that were kind of making the religious rules and, and, and trying to enforce them. And that was an ever-changing line. Uh, and so, so this guy named Nicodemus hears Jesus teaching. And he gets, he, he gets he's like, you know, I haven't really heard about this. This is all kind of new to me. Uh, and because, like, you know, I, I read the Torah and I read, uh, you know, I, I read the, the scrolls and I'm like, I don't really know that, that what Jesus is saying really jives. So I really want to go talk to him. So, so uh, under the cover of night, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and they begin to have a conversation. All right. Now we're going to find that later, after this conversation, much after this conversation, down the road when Jesus uh, uh, is crucified and is going to be buried, uh, Nicodemus is going to be one of the guys with a, another one of Jesus' um, followers whose name is Joseph of Arimathea, who actually owned the tomb that Jesus was buried in. Joseph and Nicodemus would be the two guys that would, be, that would prepare Jesus' body for burial. All right, so this conversation, and we don't see a whole lot from Nicodemus, only like two or three times in Scripture do we really see him mentioned. But the story that, that when he comes to Jesus, he is trying to understand what it means to be born again because Jesus is like, look, you've got to be born again. And, and here's Nicodemus, a man, a man of science, uh, a man of, of religiosity, maybe not necessarily a man of faith. And he's going, look, you know, in, in the conversation with Jesus, he says, you know, I, I just don't understand. I've already been born. Why do I need to be born again? And Jesus says, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God unless you are born again. And so you can almost just see the wheels turning. And Nicodemus is going, going no, wait a minute, I'm like a, I'm like a grown man. And he's thinking back to anatomy class. And he's going, how can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus goes, you're overcomplicating this. And that's where we jump into our story Today, perspective is a funny thing, isn't it? Nicodemus was looking at the process of being born again through the lens of science. Jesus needed Nicodemus to make that turn, to, to think of salvation, being born again through the lens of faith. Now, church, I think in all awful, awful uh, times... Uh, you and I, we try to make informed decisions based on the information that we have. When there are some times that Jesus says, I want you to step out in faith and do this. And you're like, man, I can't afford it. I can't afford to do this. I, 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 don't, I don't think I can do. Go where you want me to go. Perspective is a funny thing. Generosity, when it's filtered through the lens of self-advancement, is idolatrous. 
right? Perspective, when, you know, in this perspective, when, when our goal of generosity is so that other people see the good things that we're doing, and they, they, they come over and they just sort of pat you on the back. If that's your aim in life, if that's your goal, is to get clicks on Instagram or is to get comments on Facebook about what a wonderful person you are, then the glory has been shifted from God to you, and that's idolatrous. Generosity when it's filtered through the lens of the gospel, has nothing to do with us. We are simply a conduit for the work of the, of the gospel to be done. And therefore, when we are not the ones who are the focus, but Jesus is the one who is the focus, then our generosity brings glory to God, which is automatically good for us. We who know the truth, right? And that truth that has set us free, we must communicate that truth to those who are perishing, right? Because Paul said the message of the cross is foolishness to those who, are, who don't believe, right? So sometimes we have to go move mulch around or pack lunches or go work at First Coast Women's Services. Sometimes we have to hand out meals to the homeless, Sometimes, church, we have to meet physical needs, so that gives us credibility to meet spiritual needs. And so, as we read today, let's filter what we're going to read. As we jump into John chapter 3 and verse 16, let's filter what we read through the lens of faith, through the lens of the gospel. Today's big idea is this, that, is that as Christians, we should always be looking for ways to do for others what in that moment they can't do for themselves. John chapter 3, verse 16, you know it. I didn't hear any of you turning. It's because you know this. He says, for God so loved the world. This is, now this is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, trying to explain to him why it is so important to be born again. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I, I, I can't read this in ESV. I, I, I hear it in King James. That's, that's, how I, uh, that's how I memorized it as a kid. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We, we leave out John 3.17, and I almost like that better than John 3.16. Two things I want us to look from or look at from, from these two verses about God's extravagant generosity that he showed the world is this. Is that number one, the Lord's generosity spills out of his great love for us. Verse 16, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son as a sacrifice. He offered him as a sacrifice. Now, I've been to Haiti about no, 10 or 11 times. Um, the last time I went to Haiti was in 20, I think 2018. Uh, we, uh, it was when the, all the political rest was getting started, and I got stuck down there for a week uh, with, uh, with 15 students. We had, uh, we had 10 students and five chaperones, uh, and we got stuck in a, in a guest house in Haiti. The missionary came to us uh, the day that we were supposed to leave and said, hey, there's a protest on the road to Port-au-Prince, and in Jacmel, which is a coastal town in southern Haiti, uh, he says there's only one, there's only road to, one, one, one road to Port-au-Prince, and it's completely blocked. You guys are stuck here. And I had a bunch of like, like ninth and 10th grade girls and a few guys, and they're like, what do you mean we can't go home? We want to go home. And I'm like, me too, <laughs> right? And we eventually got home, and actually, I, I actually made it home the same number of people I left with. I considered that a win. 
I'll never forget my first trip to Haiti. If you've never been to Haiti, I hope that my prayer is is that that things will open up uh, politically in such a way that we can safely take teams back. I'll never forget my first trip, uh, 2009. Um, it was before the, before the earthquake. Uh, and so uh, the Florida Baptist Convention has a guest house in Port just outside Port-au-Prince. Uh, and I was standing on the balcony. And this house was, uh, belonged to, um, to an Egyptian dentist uh, who would come in and do mission work. And so I ha- had this home, and he wound up selling it to the, or giving it to the Florida Baptist Convention. That's where mission teams would stay. And so my very first night, uh, we got there, and everybody else had kind of gone to sleep. It was about 1 o'clock in the morning. And I was sitting out because the trade winds were starting to blow. And I could, I could sit up on the balcony... Uh, and I could just hear the sounds of the city, which I thought was a fantastic idea. Until I heard the drum beats. And you would hear them get closer and then further away, closer and then further away. And I was like, man, what is going on? Like, I'm not going to leave the guest house at 1 o'clock in the morning to go figure out what it is. Uh, and, so I was, uh, and so I heard this, after that I heard a blood-curdling scream. And I thought, boy, that can't be good. And so the next morning, I was talking to, uh, to one of the missionaries, and he says, oh, yes, that was uh, one of the voodoo houses. Uh, they were doing a sacrifice, sacrificing more than likely a child. They do animals, too. They would sacrifice animals, too. But sometimes they would sacrifice humans uh, to, their, to appease their gods. I thought, I, well, they're not going to want a six-foot-tall, 300-pounder. Um, I, was, I, was, I was never in danger. But the little ones, you know, you always worry about things like that. And I began to see the dichotomy between all of these other religions, including voodoo and Christianity, where generosity, sacrifice, when we die to ourselves and when we give others, whether it's uh, Jehovah's Witnesses who only 144,000 make it into the upper tier of heaven. So you have to work your way by going door to door. That's why they go door to door. They're so, ra- so rabid and adamant that you hear their story because they get credit for you hearing it. Or Mormons who go on, on a two-year um, missions journey. All of that is about trying to please God and to appease God. To make, God, to make God show favor because of something you've done or something you've said. All of the other religions that are out there, we have, to, we have to be generous or to sacrifice of ourselves so that God would be pleased with us. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he offered Jesus as a sacrifice, not so that, that we would have to sacrifice for him, that he might love us. The Bible says he loves us. He cares about us. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8 says that for while we were weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a, a good person one would even dare to die. But God showed his love for us, or he shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Church, before you could ever do anything for God, God did everything for you. We see God's generosity in the person of Jesus. And that's what Jesus is trying to convince, or what he's trying to see. They're trying to tell Nicodemus about it. He's like, look, the story that you're telling people is that you have to give alms or you have to, you have to give this or do this or keep the law so that God will love you. And what we see here is that God displayed his love for us in this, that, that I'm going to die for you. 
that I might not have to, to live for eternity without you. Christmas is coming up. Uh, not before Thanksgiving, though. We do one holiday at a time in my family. Uh, we watched a Hallmark Christmas movie last night because I'm a benevolent husband who loves his wife. And so we turned on a Hallmark movie after I had watched eight hours of football. And, uh, and of course, Allie fell asleep like every night. She fell asleep watching the, watching the movie. But we love Christmas in my family. We just love it in the right order. Um, I'm an only child, which means that, that there is, when people try to say, they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, you didn't have a sibling to grow up with, someone to, to love and someone to play with growing up. I'm going, let me tell you something about growing up as an only child. There is nothing in this world like coming around the corner on Christmas morning knowing everything on the floor is for you. My dad said something one day when I was a teenager. He said, he said you know, he called, they, my parents called me Buddy. All right, that's my name. Um, don't laugh at that. It's not funny. So, um, so my parents, my dad told me something on Christmas. He said, he said Bud, there's going to come a day when you are going to enjoy the giving more than you enjoy the getting. I'm like, I, I, I don't think that's true. And maybe it's me. Maybe I'm just spoiled. I, I was just spoiled, petulant, rotten. I don't know. All right. But I, I thought at the time, man, there is nothing in this world like, like, again, coming around the corner on Christmas morning, knowing everything on the floor. I don't have to share anything. All right? I mean, it was a beautiful, beautiful life. You know what I found as I've gotten older? The joy that I used to, you know, because now I generally preach on, on Christmas Eve and then, you know, we go to bed. And, and you know, you're going to bed when you're a kid on Christmas morning. You know, you just, there's that anticipation of what's going to happen next. You know, what the next morning is going to bring. You know, I have, now that I'm 40, I have more fun in the days leading up. Now, not Black Friday. I, y'all are crazy if you go out on Black Friday. There's a thing like called Amazon I want to introduce you to. But I would encourage you to shop local and shop small businesses. Um, I love watching my family open gifts that I have thoughtfully bought for them. Unless it's a gift card. That really take a whole lot of thought. But I love watching, and, and, and I think it's something that as you mature, as you get older, that, that you begin to put into perspective what these things mean. That every time someone, because here's the thing, we could not give each other gifts on Christmas and all would be well. But you know what the gifts represent? It represents our love for the person that we offer. I mean, unless you're buying for someone out of obligation. And so every time they open a gift... It means that you cared enough about them and thought enough about them to go and to purchase a gift and put it under your tree. And you get to watch their eyes when they open that gift. Man, I never thought I'd get to that place. And my family, we go around the, the circle and we open one gift at a time so that we can all watch. As you grow in discipleship, as you grow in your faith in Jesus, something changes in us. It becomes less about what we get out of being a believer and more about showing others of God's great love for us because we, we've already experienced it in the person of Jesus. And church, let me tell you something. When you 
When you experience the extravagant grace and love of Jesus Christ, when, when God just, just poof, forgives you of all of your sin and you no longer owe that debt to him, and that weight is off of your shoulders, oh man. You just can't help but want to tell others about how they can experience the same freedom you've experienced. The church at Macedonia was smaller and it was under immense persecution. And so Paul writes to, to, to the church, churches of the region of Macedonia in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Verses 1 through 4. This is what he says. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly, for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And so you, walk, you may have walked in today and say, man, I can't wait till we're done with this generosity series because I don't have much to give. I don't have much to offer. It doesn't have to be much. Whatever you offer the Lord in generosity will be multiplied by the one who owns cattle on a thousand hills. The next chapter, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8 is, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. Imagine this. I, I, uh, I lived for five years in northwest Alabama, very uh, agrarian type society. Now, mind you, I grew up in Jacksonville. I grew up in, in what is Duval. I grew up in southwest Duval, which is Clay County. And um, and, and so when I moved to Alabama, I thought I'm moving from Middleburg, Florida um, to, to Russellville, Alabama. Small town to small town. I've got this. I know the small town life. I really didn't know the small town life. I moved to this agrarian society, and I learned a lot about farming. I, I knew nothing about farming when I moved there. Um, closest thing I knew to farming was going to one of those, like going to the farmer's market on Beaver Street. Like that's as close to farming as I ever got. And... Um, and I, I, would, I would hang out with, with a couple guys in our church that were, that were farmers. And I would watch them as they would, as they would spread seed. They would till the soil. They would prepare the soil. Uh, and then and, and I began to watch in, uh, how, how different people would do it. And some would be very sparingly in how they spread the seed. And some would, would, be, would be bountiful. Like they would just take handfuls and they would throw handfuls out. Whether it's consciously or unconsciously, whoever is the one that's sowing the seed has a decision to make. Is he going to let the seed flow abundantly through his fingers or is he going to tighten his grasp to hoard what he has? 
I learned from a man named Floyd Tyree. He's like a surrogate grandfather to me. He said, he said, you can't be too generous in a field like this. He said, because the more generous you are, the more the ground has an opportunity to spring up what you can reap. So why do we hold back? Why do we keep from being generous? Well, for the farmer, it may be that, that he, may get to, he may not get to the end of the row or get to the end of the field and run out of seeds. Maybe there's a concern that it, with inflation, that the seed is so expensive that he can't afford to even, even waste just a, a pinch of it. Maybe there's doubt in the, in the quality of the soil or in the amount of rain that's going to come, making, it, uh, make, making him hesitate to, to put all of his eggs into one basket. On the other hand, Floyd knew his soil. And he was always optimistic that if he would put in the work, that the Lord would bless it. Church, for us, this is Jacksonville. There's no cornfields, cotton fields, wheat fields around here. You got to go way north to a place called Georgia to find that, right? Or way west out to Madison. The soil that we have in Jacksonville is the lostness that's around us. People that need to hear of the grace of Jesus. What does the harvest look like for Fort Caroline? It looks like changed lives. We give, we serve, we go on mission. Why? Because when we take the time, the energy, and the effort to meet the physical needs of those who are less fortunate around us, it may buy us the credibility to meet their spiritual needs. If we give a meal... If we fix up a house, if we love people rightly, they might just, in a world that is becoming more and more distrustful of everything. Did y'all know Governor Ron DeSantis called me this week? He called me six times. It said on my caller ID, Governor Ron DeSantis. First time I answered, I was like, hello? It was a recording. A caller ID is supposed to filter that stuff out. So finally, by the sixth one, I picked up the phone. Hello, governor! Because I knew it wasn't the real governor. We've grown super distrustful in our society because society, time and time again, has tried to, pu has tried to pull the wool over our, our eyes, haven't they? It's not just you. It's the rest of our world, too. They need, to, they need to see that you're not trying to pull the wool over their eyes so that they might listen to the message that you have to proclaim. Matthew chapter 6, verse 20 and 21, we read it last week. Jesus says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Church, when we're generous in this life, it can translate to eternal benefits for someone 
who is not you. Because you, if you're a believer in Jesus, you already have those benefits. The Lord, his generosity spills out of his great love for us. But the Lord also teaches us generosity. But he does so with our eternal state in mind. Look at verse 17, John chapter 3. He says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. It's a Greek word, cosmos, that word world. It is literally humanity apart from God's grace. Jesus was sent into this world where we get our word cosmos. Jesus was sent into this unbelieving world to die on our behalf. But more than just dying so that we would have have eternal life, he also did it so we would have eternal community. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44, the Bible said that, and this is in the first church, said, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Growing up, in, or not growing up, but living for five years in a small town in Alabama, um, I didn't understand just how important community was. In a town like that, if you weren't from there, you weren't from there. I had a guy come and took me to, took me to, to, to lunch, and he said, and I asked him, I said, I said, how long have you lived here? He said, well, I'm from here. He said, my wife, uh, has, my wife is from a town down the road, and when we got married, she came to live here. And, um, and I, I said, well, well okay. How do, you, how do you know, like, like, how long does it take for you to be able to say that, that this is my hometown? He goes, were you born here? And I said, no. He said, then never. <laughs> okay. All right, I'll, t- I'll take that. This town had an immense drive for community. And it was built around the school system. Uh, they were the, their school mascot was on everything all around the town. And I had a conversation uh, with a student pastor in that town who said, and I asked him, I said, how do you build biblical community within, within such a tight-knit community? He goes, oh, we do it through the schools. I said, I'm not, I'm not talking about community. I'm talking about biblical community. There's a difference. He goes, I don't know what you're talking about. The problem is we can be tied. like We can, we can come together around the Jaguars. We can come together around the Gators or the Knolls, you know, or the Bulldogs or the Cane. I don't know. Pick, 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 pick your team. And we can go and we can yell and we can scream. We can have, have a wonderful life. When we're done with this life, I hate to say this, when, when I die in this life, I'm not going to wear any gator apparel in heaven because nothing is going to take my allegiance other than Jesus. Biblical community is not tied to anything that is, is societal. Biblical community is tied to Jesus. And so the Lord teaches us generosity that we might communicate the truth of, of community to others. A biblical community, because genuine biblical community prepares us for heaven. You know, there might be people in heaven that you don't like. Spoke bad about your mama. Said something mean about you on Facebook. And they might be in heaven. Can you believe that? The best part is when you get there, you won't care what they've done to you. It's just about Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 7, the prophet said, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who publishes peace, 
who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The church is the hands and the feet of Jesus. Jesus ascended and left us the Great Commission. And if you're a believer in Jesus, nothing at all can separate you from that eternal state. But there are so many people around you that need to hear of the work of Jesus Christ. So Jesus took the time to communicate to Nicodemus what it looks like. And we read that after Jesus died, that same Nicodemus who just couldn't wrap his mind around what it meant to be born again comes back and helps prepare the body of Jesus for burial. After all the disciples have scattered like roaches when the light comes on, there is Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus because Jesus was important to them. Friend, what would happen if Jesus truly was important to us? What, what would it mean that, that, that if we had to kind of eschew our desires, our wants, our preferences, that others might hear the gospel? It means that we have become so consumed with the grace of Jesus that it's no longer about what we get, but what we can give. Because the Lord has given so much of us. The world needs to see that God did not send his son into the world to condemn them, but that he would save them. They need to hear of Jesus. They need to see Jesus. They need us to show him. You may be here today and you say, Pastor, I've, I've never trusted Jesus as Savior. You have nothing to give. You need to receive the grace of Jesus today. In just a moment, back in the next steps table, after I pray, there are going to be people that want to tell you about that. I'm going to be standing down front. I want to tell you about Jesus. Don't, don't leave without hearing of his grace today. You may need to make a decision that today is a day where you're going you're gonna to put off all of the anxiety and all the worry about joining, uh, about joining Fort Caroline Baptist Church and that you're, you want to make this where you're going to plant your life. Go to the next steps table. Let's, let's move forward together in God's grace. Maybe you know of somebody that needs to hear of Jesus. They need to occupy one of the seats that's in this room. You need to take one of those invite cards and walk up to them. Understand the invite card does all the work for you. You literally have to walk and extend your hand and let them read about what Be Rich looks like. Let's be faithful out of the generosity that God has shown us. Let's do for others what they cannot in their sinfulness do for themselves Let's give them the grace of Jesus today. Father, we love you and we honor you. As we close things down here today, may we be commissioned out into a lost world that they might know of your love and your peace and your grace today. May we be faithful and obedient to take the gospel to the least of these. That we might have the credibility 
to share our stories and that life change may happen. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.